Amen. Turn in your Bible to the letter of Paul to the Colossians. The letter of Colossians. Um, we've spent some time uh, going through some other material, uh, namely in the book of James. Uh, but now we're going to be, begin a series, uh, really a study of this letter, the letter to the Colossians. And so uh, this morning what I'd actually like to do is uh, I'd like for us to understand why we want uh, to know this letter, why we should study this letter, uh, what does this letter offer to us um, so that we would be prepared to receive what's in it. And so I'm going to spend a few minutes going through why it is that we should read the letter of the Colossians. And then uh, I'm actually going to go ahead and read the letter for us. Um, We'll spend some time uh, diving richly into God's word. Uh, Let me say a word of prayer before we begin. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather. Thank you, God, that we get to spend time in your word. Thank you for uh, this awesome letter that reminds us that Jesus is uh, a risen and reigning king that Jesus has lost no control over uh, our lives or the uh, entirety of the world, that Jesus is sovereign and he rules uh, without question. Thank you that because of that, we recognize we have an all-powerful king who works in us so that we might be the people that you want us to be, that we would live in a way that pleases the Lord, that we would walk in a way that Uh, resembles the life of Christ and that his righteousness is ours because of his grace. And so we pray now that we would uh, tune our ears to hear from your word. And we thank you for this letter. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, you probably all know this, but uh, small problems can present significant issues. Small problems can present significant issues. If you've ever had a wound before, a cut of some sort, it's good to address it because if you don't, it can grow into a worse problem. Um, If you uh, find lack or need in any way, uh, find yourself in a shortage, whether it's financial or anything else, it's better to address it because, you know, that problem can get infinitely worse. If there's a leak in your home, it's something that you want to address right away or it'll get infinitely worse. Mind you, I don't need to bring buses back into this conversation. It can get infinitely worse. Some of the biggest issues that uh, we face or see around us are issues that started small but have grown to be something that seems to be out of control. And the letter to the Colossians, uh, it mimics something of that for us. In fact, the verse that I think back on when I have been reading Colossians, studying Colossians, It reminds me of these words, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Those words come from Galatians 5, 9. They also come from the mouth of Jesus. And the point of it is this, is if you have a little problem, it can grow into a huge one very quickly. And what's true of what Jesus is talking about, even what Paul writes to the Galatians, is it's something talking about bread. How do you get bread to grow? You add a little bit of yeast, and that's what makes it happen. But what Jesus talked about in the Gospels was actually pertaining to teaching, teaching amongst God's people. And so a little problem can become a significant one. And that's not only true of bread, that's true of us. And the reason that Paul actually writes this letter to the church in the city of Colossae is because of that same truth. 
there's beginning to be in this church a little problem. And that problem is not insignificant. It's unknown exactly how it's all going on, and Paul doesn't give us details or names of who's doing what. But oftentimes, Paul writes a letter because there's a group of men or a group of people that are coming into the church and bringing teaching that is against what's already been brought forth, typically by Paul or another one of Jesus' disciples. And what's interesting is in this book, when Paul talks about false teaching, he doesn't talk about it as a rampant thing. He talks about it as a small thing. But he recognizes it's small enough to send them this letter to fight against whatever it is that's coming into this church. It's going to require Paul writing to them, even from a jail cell, in order to remind them of the biblical and very clear truths that are presented to us in Jesus. In other letters where you see false teaching, you often find false teachers. It turns out in this letter, there might actually just be one guy. Many believe that there's just one guy who's come into the church and he's begun to spread certain heresies, as we might call them. Certain beliefs, certain doctrines, certain things that are being presented as truth that go contradictory to what the people have already known through the teaching of the gospel. And that's all it takes to ruin a good church. It takes one person, one teaching, one quick distraction away from the purity of the true gospel to find yourself in a whirlwind of chaos. And so Paul writes this letter. Paul writes this letter not as a rebuke. In fact, he kind of writes it as a warning. You know, like whenever you go to Disneyland and you're ready to have the best time of your life and you're like getting ready to walk in and like all the signs say, hey, don't forget you can get cancer here. It's like, hmm, I was just going to get on It's a Small World, but okay. Um, It's kind of like that. You see it and you kind of understand that there's something that you need to be careful with. But I'm afraid that oftentimes when we read things like that, we do exactly what we do at Disney. We disregard them. we We blow past them. We don't pay any attention to them. You can't do that with the book of Colossians. And that's why we need to study this book. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And that's not just true of 2,000 years ago at this church out in an ancient world. The lessons that we find in this book, they pertain to us. The issues that we see in this book, they pertain to us. And what's more, the Jesus that we find in this book the king that is talked about in this book, the one who's sovereign and rules over all things, is above all things, in all things, who made all things, the one who's spoken of in this book, his gospel is not only their gospel, it's our gospel. And so this book has a lot to teach us. I want us to look at four things in particular. If we wanted to create a main idea for the book of Colossians, I think I would put it this way. We've titled this series, Christ, Our Life. And I love that because I think it communicates two aspects of that. One, the reality that in Christ, we find everything we've been looking for. But two, in Christ, we can also be everything that God wants us to be. And so I would sum it up this way. Jesus is enough to save and to sanctify. Jesus is enough 
to save, and to sanctify. That's the rhythm of this letter. It's a reminder that the Jesus who started a good work in you will bring it to completion. And it's a warning that the Jesus who's at work in you shouldn't be tampered with. That what you've believed upon in faith is something that needs to be preserved. It's pure and it should remain that way. That you should be careful with the things that you listen to and believe in. The things that you regard as worthy of your attention. You should be careful when someone approaches you with another truth or another reality or something other than Jesus and the things you know to be true in his word. You should be careful because Jesus is enough to save and to sanctify. So I want to give you this morning four reasons to study the book of Colossians. I want to look at those quickly with you. And then I want us to read this letter together. We're going to spend a lot of time in it, and I think it's helpful if we spend that time, even today, reading through this awesome letter. Number one, the four reasons that we study the book of Colossians. Number one, we believe in the same superior Jesus. Number one, we believe in the same superior Jesus. The book of Colossians is going to show itself and prove itself to be very practical for us. It's going to ground us in what a good and godly Christian life looks like. But it does that upon a certain premise, a certain argument, a certain truth. And the truth that all of our lives depend on, if we're going to honor God with our lives, is none other than this reality that Jesus is preeminent and above all things. And Paul sets the rhythm of that in this letter, maybe most beautifully here in these words, Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. Jesus, he is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is the agent by which all things exist. Jesus is also the reason for which all things exist. Everything your eyes have ever beheld exists because of Jesus. He is the author who's always been and always will be. He is the one who's created everything around you. And not only so, he's the one that's put everything in its place. Thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Why can he do that? Well, Jesus can do that because of what he tells us in Matthew 28. All authority has been given unto him. Jesus alone is worthy of that kind of authority. And if we're going to ground our Christian life on any one doctrine, on any one truth, it would have to be the reality that Jesus is above all things. There isn't an election in heaven every year to see who's going to be the boss now. No one's running against him to see if they can win and take over and now rule and reign over the heavens and the earth. It doesn't work that way. 
It, it might work that way amongst people, but it doesn't work that way with God. Jesus has been seated at the right hand of the Father as the almighty, all-reigning, and never-contested king. He is supreme over everything. We don't need anything else. We're not looking for someone else. We aren't hoping for someone else. The king of kings has come to us, and his name is Jesus. The Jesus that reigned during the day of Colossae reigns right now here in Sun Valley. There is no time limit to how long his kingdom will last. You know that his kingdom will be forever. It was told to us by prophets of old. It was proclaimed to us by Jesus himself. And in some way now we see it in the words here of Paul. Verse 17, he's before all things and in him, All things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. If you are going to live a Christian life that reflects that you truly believe in the God of the universe, it's going to be one in which Jesus is first in everything. There isn't some kind of list by which, you know, oh, Jesus is preeminent here. Jesus is superior here. But when it comes to my friends or it comes to my passions or it comes to the things I want to do with my life, I kind of have a different list. It's not how it works. Jesus' supremacy rules and reigns over all things. That goes for governors, presidents, and it also goes for your personal life. Jesus is superior. We believe in the same superior Jesus as the Colossians did. Now, number two, a second reason that we need to study the book of the Colossians, we battle the same threats the Colossians did. We battle the same threats the Colossians did. That Jesus reigns and that Jesus is superior. It means a lot to us, those who believe and those who love him, it's never meant a lot to people who don't care about God. That God rules and reigns, it's something that's over and over been contested and it's, people have tried to go against it but always failed. It's like the time I came down to the basement. You guys know Austin, right? Yeah, he's like three times my size. Um, I came down to the basement one day and I saw Austin in the office, and you know, I, sometimes I get just really goofy, not normally, but all the time. And so I walked in the office, and I just had this moment, like we were talking about, I don't know why, someone was talking about wrestling and whatnot, and so I just walk up to Austin, and I go, Dunk, if we were to wrestle right now, do you think you could take me? Within 13 seconds, I was on the ground. And I couldn't move. And there was nothing I could do to get back up. I was done for. And that's honestly pales in comparison to the way that people have often tried to refute and disown God. His supremacy is uncontested, but people have often tried to no avail. Think of the serpent in the garden telling Adam and Eve that God is not worthy to be followed. 
and yet he's been crushed underfoot by Jesus. Think of Babel, where the people of, uh, of the world are trying to reach the heavens and declare themselves to be something that God says they're not. Think of Pharaoh trapping God's people and saying, I will never let them go, and yet God getting his way and parting the Red Sea so his people could find their home. Think of the prophets of Baal as they fight against Elijah and say, no, our God is better, and yet they're made to look like fools. Think of Nebuchadnezzar who raises a statue so high that everyone needs to bow to it, and in the end, Nebuchadnezzar is bowing before Yahweh. Think of the Pharisees who tried to refute Jesus, and yet Jesus now is ascended, risen and reigning forever. Listen, you can try as much as you want. You will not be able to refute this Jesus. You can't go against his supremacy, but it doesn't stop people from trying. And that's what the Colossians were dealing with. We battle with these same threats. And the two main things that were coming into this church, trying to refute God's supremacy, his rule, his reign, the obvious reality that God alone is in control of all things. And now he's made that known to us through the gospel of his son. The two main things surface trying to go against the way God has made things to be. And there are two things that were common in that church. And once you hear them, you'll recognize they're common in ours. One, religiosity. And two, philosophy. These are the two main things that are beginning to creep their way into the Colossian church and tamper with the pure faith these people have. And we're not going to dive deeply into all of that today because we're going to tease it out as we go through this letter. But on the one hand, you have religiosity, religion pouring its way into the church. And Colossae was an interesting town. It was made up mainly of Gentiles, but it had a really huge Jewish presence as well. And so it seems that there's a guy, potentially maybe some others, but it seems like there's someone who's kind of in the mix. He's got a little bit of Jew and a little bit of Gentile. And that makes a lot of sense to me because the gospel has come for both. And so it's easy for someone like that to fill through the cracks and begin to tamper with these people. And this message that's being proclaimed, one, is of religion. We begin to see shades of it in Colossians 2, verse 16. Here, Paul gives this warning, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Verse 18 continues, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, which is basically works-based religion and worship of angels going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. You drop down to verse 20. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world? And notice what he says. Do you still submit to regulations? In other words, it's like we talked about last week. Are you still seeking to follow rules? You don't get it yet? This isn't about rules. This is about having a relationship with Christ. Are you submitting yet again to what he calls in verse 23, self-made religion? 
asceticism, severity to the body, things that are of no value in stopping indulgence of the flesh. The minute that Jesus makes his way to Colossae, quickly behind are people who try to add a bunch of things to him. They'll tell you it's Jesus plus something. And anywhere where that's preached, you have a false gospel. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's everything that we need. But this church is being tempered with. And you'd be kidding yourself to think that in the church today, even in Christianity, amongst your friends and the others that you know that profess Christ, the same things aren't happening. It isn't Jesus plus Bible reading. It isn't Jesus plus your devotional life. It isn't Jesus plus however many minutes you pray in the morning. Not because those things don't matter, but because those things have never saved. It is Christ and Christ alone. Let those things be a reflection that Jesus is everything. If you're to study your word and if you're to pray and if you're to fellowship and be with God's people and if you're to sing his praises, make sure it's from a heart that recognizes those things are simply an expression that Jesus is everything. Jesus doesn't need you to add anything to what he's doing. Secondly, there is philosophy. And this is coming from inside the church and from outside the church. In the church of Colossae, there's a lot of ranging thoughts about Jesus. And not only is there this sect of belief in which Sure, you believe in Jesus, but you also have to do these things. There's also a tampering with the clear message of Jesus. Some are coming in and saying, well, you know, Jesus, he's not really God. He's just a man. You know, Jesus, he's not really overall things. He's just part of this weird God-like system by which, yes, he's kind of... um, worthy of our worship, but so are angels. And so are these other beings. And so are these other creatures. So are these other gods. It's a pure warping of the true and pure Christian gospel. And Paul confronts this here in Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. In other words, be careful that what you believe about Jesus is what Jesus says about himself. Be careful that what you believe about Jesus is how God has revealed him to be and not what others have made him to be. Listen, if you don't think this pertains to you, then you're not paying attention. You've been told over and over that love is love. Oh, well, Jesus would endorse all kinds of sin and pride and disregard for his law because he's loving. That's who Jesus is. Jesus embraces my lifestyle because Jesus is loving. Isn't that who you're talking about? And you need to have some grounding, all grounding in who Christ is, to absolutely refute those things and say, no, that is not who Jesus is. Jesus is loving, not in that he affirms sin, but in that he dies for sinners. 
That's who Jesus is. Jesus is loving in that he's given his life as a ransom for many, not so that they would continue to walk in their sins, but so that they would fight sin, kill sin, and walk with him. That was true of then, and it's true of now. And we'll dive more deeply into these issues as we go, but I want you to see very quickly here that the battle that these believers faced The threats they faced in their church are the same threats that you're facing in the world around you. They're the same threats you're facing, maybe even from some of the friends you're sitting around today. They're the same threats that you face even if you're at a Christian school. You're going to have to defend Jesus, not the Jesus of your own choosing and not the Jesus that the world wants you to believe in, but the Jesus who's revealed himself through his word. We battle the same threats as the Colossians did. Uh, Number three, we believe in the same superior Jesus. We battle the same threats as the Colossians. Number three, we boast in the same powerful grace as the Colossians. We boast in the same powerful grace as the Colossians. Some of the most comforting and beautiful words in this entire letter are found in Colossians chapter three. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What we find here are words of hope and comfort for us. Even as we face those threats to our faith, even as we face those battles that seek to uh, disregard and um, uh, refute God's superior authority, we find that the grace of God is able to save us. And in Christ, the grace of God is also able to grow us. And so we recognize we have no reason to boast in ourselves. That's never been the point. The reality is that in Christ, we have everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. Notice shortly after these words here in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, very quickly we begin to get practical. Put to death, therefore. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching you, admonishing one another in all wisdom. And verse 17 caps it all for us. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The reality that Paul presents to us is this. Our boast is in our faith. And our faith is in Christ. Those who've believed upon him now reside with him. And he resides in them. And so everything we do from here on out, every act, every word, every deed of yours as a believer, you owe it all to His grace. Everything that God expects from you, 
you could not do before and you cannot do now apart from his grace. This is why at the beginning of this letter, verse 11 of chapter 1, Paul prays, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Listen, the Christian life is hard. And I'm not here to soften the blow on how you should live a disciplined and righteous life. You need to absolutely put some effort into this thing. But please go back to God and give him all the credit. Recognize that that's what Paul is reminding us here. That as hard as we think we need to try, we need to depend all the more. Trying is gone. That's what people have done for centuries in trying to be right with God. You don't need to try. You need to be strengthened. Depend on Christ. Look to Christ. Feast mightily upon Christ and may he strengthen you with all power. Not power like you and I have. We have limited power. If we were to come up here and do some arm wrestling stuff, someone will win and someone will lose. But eventually all of us would lose to someone else. God's power is not like that. He never loses. It's effortless for him. He's never found a contest that he couldn't match. And so as we look to live a Christian life and as we look to be empowered in the gospel, we're drawing from his glorious might, infinite might, limitless might, all power, able to help us and enable us to live righteously before him. We boast in the same powerful grace that these believers did. I want you to see one last thing before we read this letter. Not only do we believe in the same superior Jesus, not only do we battle the same threats as the Colossians, not only do we boast in the same powerful grace as the Colossians, fourth reason that we want to study the book of Colossians is we believe in the same sufficient gospel. In this, we're all... We're bringing these points all together. In this, simply what we're saying is this, that what we have in Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough to save and to sanctify. And we'll see it over and over in this letter. You don't have to go looking for other opinions on how it is that you should live your life. You don't have to go and try to find out who Jesus is by any other means. You don't have to seek to please God in some other kind of way. You can stand up in the face of opposition and even challenges to your faith by pointing back to the Jesus that you've beheld in the truth of Scripture and know that he's enough. He's enough to grow you, to sanctify you, to comfort you, to be with you, to reside in you to make you holy and blameless before him. And we know this most of all because he is enough, as verse 13 says, to deliver us from a domain of darkness and transfer us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's who we have in Jesus. In him, we found redemption and forgiveness. And what's more, in him, we have found life. Going back to Colossians 3, verse 4. 
This is why we've titled this Christ Our Life. It's because here we read those words, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And those are words of hope for us. Jesus is sufficient because now Jesus is everything. Those who have eyes to see it, those who have ears to hear the message, and those who have hearts that have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't go wandering looking for something else. They believe wholeheartedly that Christ is our life. These are the reasons we want to study this book together. Uh, Would you with me now? Let's read this book and then I'll pray for you and we'll be dismissed, okay? Let's read the letter to the Colossians together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, and in him, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I've had for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who've not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so Walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised in a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink regarding a festival or new moon, a Sabbath, These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, 
not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord's forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. Masters, treat your servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. 
Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He is also a beloved brother, a faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And let's call him Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Talk about that. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, called out, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Father, as we prepare to look into this letter this semester, would you help us to receive all that is in it? To see within it a risen and reigning Jesus who is sufficient for everything we need. One who has saved us and one who is sanctifying us. One who has loved us so that we would have eyes of faith and one who loves us enough to carry us on this journey of faith. So we thank you for Christ. And we thank you that in him we have everything we need and in it we are in him we are also armed to fend off all other things that would come and seek to assault our faith in you help us to stand firm rooted in Christ so that one day we would be presented mature unto you we thank you for Christ and we thank you for this time in Jesus name amen